we are geek-centric, and you can be too. What's up, geeks, and welcome back to the Geek-Centric Podcast. My name is Justin, and today we continue with part two of our retrospective look at the work of Christopher Nolan, picking up where we left off with The Dark Knight. But first, if you're joining us for the first time, this is a weekly podcast covering the world of film, television, gaming, toys, collectibles, and all things geek-centric. Joining me, as always, we have my geeky co-hosts, Nate Shelton and Kevin Hudson, so let's get into it. All right, so our next film after Prestige was his follow-up to Batman Begins, which was The Dark Knight. Obviously, everyone knows this film. Um, After Gordon Dent and Batman begin an assault on Gotham's organized crime, the mobs hire the Joker, a psychopathic criminal mastermind who offers to kill Batman and bring the city to its knees. You know, approaching the sequel, Nolan wanted to expand the noir-like style of the film and broadening the canvas and taking the dynamics of the the story of the city and larger and, and, you know, kind of increasing the focus of crime and you know where we look at crime both in in terms of the police the justice systems uh vigilantes poor people and of course rich people and criminals uh the idea that this can exist within any of the facets which i believe is intentional because that's kind of joker's motive uh right up to the end uh in this movie um Guys, I think that this goes on a record of being like probably the defining film of of superhero movies, right? Like in terms oh, yeah. of, and it's funny because like I, I would argue that it's not really a superhero movie. It's, it's it's kind of a crime thriller film with Batman, right? If if anything, I like I almost feel like it's a supervillain movie, um, in the sense that like th- yes, this is the best Batman movie. This is the best Joker movie ever made. And I know that I'm, you know, that's coming from me where, you know, I, I put Joker on, you know, some very high lists. The 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 Joaquin Phoenix Joker um, I think was fantastic. But but it's, you know, they're, they're obviously very different films um, outside of the, you know, that that main character there. But it's 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 just I, I think it's just seeing the concepts of order and chaos clashing that we hadn't really seen before from like, again, all of the nineties versions of the Joker leading up to this, right. Where we're actually getting to see this, this, this dark and, and really just, uh, un, uh, unexpected and, and unassuming character out of the Joker. That's just, just phenomenal. Like I just, I, it, it sticks with you and you, you don't, you think about it like that's all that people were talking about for years after. I mean, we're still talking about it. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think that the performance, it makes me sometimes wonder, though, if if, you know, if Heath Ledger hadn't passed, mm. um, obviously he would still be getting the notoriety of this this role. And we would probably have a, 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 a different Dark Knight Rises. But would mm. it would it um uh, would it have so much acclaim to it? Like the, so yeah, Kevin's shaking his head. So because he's passed away, it does amplify the importance. Like it doesn't discredit the fact like, okay, it was an okay performance. And you know, it was his last performance. It was a fantastic performance. It was the most engaging, like to your point, Nate, it is a Batman movie, but you were so focused on the Joker. You were waiting for him to come back on screen and when you would see him and you know, he was diabolical. He was smart. He was, you know, crazy too right at the same time and like the way nolan approached writing and envisioning the joker is is outstanding it obviously goes to his you know he have heath ledger who obviously elevated that performance but creating such a clear intention that drove the joker in terms of trying to prove that there's bad in everyone that when it really comes down to it, it everyone everyone has has a little bit of bad in them but yeah, I think just the approach of that and giving him such a focus is is it was just so well done. I mean, I I think this movie has gotten enough smoke blown up its butt over the last <laughs> ten plus years that I'll come in as negative Nancy here. Nice. Um, it's a it's a great 
movie. It's a great comic book movie. I just can't help but feel that it's, you know, a posthumously appreciated performance that elevates it to this level of just invincibility in terms of being able to talk about it realistically. Like, the Joker's hmm. plan is stupid, nonsensical, and was impossible to pull off, you know, pull off. Like, the things he does throughout it, just, there's no way he could have known what to do and where to be and how to do it the way he does it. But that never gets talked about. That bugs me a little bit. Um, and as much as people appreciate this performance in, in light of uh, Heath Ledger passing away, I can't help but look at it in a, a bit more of a saddened sense in that he literally died for this performance mm. you know and i find that the, the sacrifices he kind of made to his personal life in order to pull this off i kind of find that tragic more than it is something to be celebrated in a sense again i don't want to get too dark and too heavy here and really try and poop on something that you know it's a brilliant performance and you know, to be recognized by the Academy is is uh, really quite nice for him and everything like that. But that still doesn't give his daughter a father back. And, and yeah. you know, and I just think that's a bit of a shame to come out of all of this. Um, but I also don't think it's that much better than, say, Batman Begins. I really don't find it to be that much better of a, of a movie. Mm-hmm. And so when you see the, the rankings that it has in a lot of ways, I just find it almost hard to believe. Right, right. Just personally, I, just personally. I, I, yeah, no, and I, I completely hear that and obviously definitely always sad for for uh, when somebody like that passes away. Um, but I think, you know, you mentioned Joker's, Joker's story there and Joker's plan uh, to be, you know, nonsensical and doesn't make sense and, and to be very um, uh, unbelievable. That's kind of the the point, though, right? Like, isn't the Joker like the whole point of the Joker is chaos? It's it's to show that he can pull these things off because he really doesn't know what he's doing because yeah, he's not thinking about it. There's ahead of way time. too much organization going on in all the 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 guy with the cell phone in his stomach has to be in the right cell and right. You know, he's got to be exactly where he needs to be to shoot Gordon. And all I of think, these things, you know. I think though the 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 real the thing that that kind of stood out to me from rewatching it recently was that you know the joker actually has people in all of these places that are doing these things so who's to say the cops that aren't involved with getting you know man with cell phone in tummy right into the center so that he can because he knew that he was going to get pulled out once they found out that harvey and rachel were missing like everything is kind of the idea is that joker and the mob he's working with the mob and the mob already has people in places and obviously that's a big part the the main thing is that there's no one to trust Right throughout this whole thing, everyone's out to protect their skin from whomever. Right, and Gotham is is tainted. And what it's, is crazy is that the Joker is reaping the benefits of that by instilling more fear. Right, and making a promise that he's going to kill Batman that I think he knows he's not going to be able to do because he says, "I don't want to kill you." Right. Right. It's and I think it's it's that duality between the two characters where they're playing off of each other. Like obviously we talk about the Joker, we talk about Heath Ledger, but you know, the whole balance and the aspect of both of those characters playing off each other, they need each other. Uh, and it's it's so cool to see that kind of gravitate. Right. But to your point, Justin, like the aspect of the Joker putting all the dominoes, he's he's setting up dominoes over here, he's setting up dominoes over here, he's setting up dominoes over here. He doesn't know which ones are going to fall when, but he knows that he's got these things in place so that when he's I, in the right opportunity, he can he can strike. Sure. So, uh, Kev, we got a Metascore there? Uh, well, I think this one is going to be pretty obvious to everybody. This uh, gets ones across the board, uh, an IMDb score of 9.0, putting it in the lead there. Uh, Metacritic. Uh, Critic score of uh, 84%, the top-rated movie in Nolan's filmography. 94% on Rotten Tomatoes puts it at the top of those critics' uh, scoreboards. And then Flickster, uh, the third and final movie of Nolan's filmography to get a 94%, putting it at number one again, obviously. So this is the most beloved of Nolan's movies, hands down, I would say. 
Right. Mm. And it's not even really of the Nolan verse, if you were to think about it, which. Sure, I'll yeah. It's more Batman. Later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. it's not. Oh, yes. It's, no, yeah. It's certainly not in that, you know, but I just mean in the the filmography. Oh, of, of course. It's, no, it's, and yeah. it's kind of like it's the hit, right? Like it, it is the hit of the movies. And, and a lot of it is anchored by, you know, variables like, you know, outstanding acting performance from Heath Ledger um, and, you know, good storytelling and, and a thrilling sort of story as well. Um, but yeah, but it's, it's, and, it, and it goes to say when, when like, it's not just that audiences love it. Critics mm-hmm. loved it too. Right. Amongst films that are almost more filmmaker E right. That he has in his repertoire here. Right. This one is st- not just by the fans, but by the critics too. Absolutely a smash. So. Right. Awesome. And, and, and probably still the defining movie of his career, I'd say. Sure. You know? Absolutely. Whether I, he'd like it to be going forward, right? Or not, it's, right. He's always going to be linked to this right. movie well, first ex- and foremost, I think. Exactly. Because if you didn't know who Christopher Nolan was at that point, you did after watching that movie. A hundred percent. That's when he that's when he popped up. That's yeah. when he popped because then he popped off and uh, Warner. <laughs> he went through this tradition, obviously, of, of doing a Batman movie and then doing another movie that was more his style or more in his universe, if you will. And in 2010, we had Inception. Uh, After the Dark Knight success, Warner Brothers signed Nolan to direct Inception. Nolan also wrote and co-produced the film and described it as a contemporary sci-fi action film set within the architecture of the mind. What a great synopsis. Um, One great quote that I found uh, about this, and, and I think this kind of in a very, very well summarizes the movie. Inception is proof that people are not stupid, that cinema is not trash. And that it is possible for blockbusters and art to be the same thing. That's really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. I love that. It was cool. from I a film that. critic named Mike uh, K from uh, Variety, if I'm not mistaken. But anyways, Very that cool. quote really stood out to me because I think for me, just to kind of kick this conversation off, um, this movie has a lot of really complex ideas to it. And the way it conveys the information throughout the film is actually very, uh, very good for just a general audience that would go and see it. Like now it's almost like Nolan knew, okay, Dark Knight has made me super, super popular. A lot of people are going to go check out my next film. I need to make it as, you know, straightforward and easy for people to kind of comprehend, but in the style and world that I like to play in, right? Which is obviously this dream state and, you know, mind bending sort of experience, um, and I think he distilled the information, these these complex ideas that he was really playing around with in very generalized information using specific characters. Yeah, I mean, what's the what's the word, uh, again, that I'm blanking on when characters say things uh, to tell the audience? Exposition. Uh, exposition, right? Like, there's definitely a lot of expository, um, expository well, that's, that's entirely uh, That's entirely of Gordon-Levitt's character joseph gordon levitt is (laughs) that character while ellen page's character is is the audience is us is is we are being introduced to this world uh even though we get i don't think you could do it any other way sure this was one word like it's not it's not pandering that you need to hold our hands and guide us step i still don't bloody get it you you have to like in a lot of ways so and i love that it's fast paced it's it's it is doing that expository dialogue but it's doing it in a way where it's like like I felt like I was in class for certain points of it, where I'm like, I'm, you know, I have to take notes. Like I'm like, okay, oh uh, yeah, okay, yes, JGL. Um, but honestly, like, not since the Matrix has a concept built such like a fantastic world and told a, a well thought out story uh, for me at least. Like, it's it honestly is such a fantastic idea, and I think one of the coolest things again to that that quote that you said, like, it doesn't it doesn't give us a dumbed down story it gives us a very smart story um but it you know like a lot of nolan's films it gives us a movie that re-watching it over and over and over again you're going to get more with every single we'll see, view we'll see we'll see here's here's the thing they do hold your hand to make sure that that information is getting to you so you understand like it is a heist film 
there's aspects of it. And when they're powwowing yeah. and coming up with their ideas and standing in the dream world as it's being built and stuff like that, all of that is, is, is exposition for you to understand what they're about to do and what they're about to go through. Because right. the first act of seeing Leo in this sort of world where it's like East Asia, like Japan, and there's water, and, and then it's everything starts falling. And it's interesting that you have this very thrilling moment, and then suddenly you're just like, well, what just happened? And then it starts guiding you through what just went on. But yeah, I think I think in some ways they like to Kevin mentioned it, like they they do hold your hand, right? Which is fine. I just think that if you're if they're gonna hold your hand, I like that the way Nolan did it, versus maybe other films that don't trust the audience too much and think, okay, they're not gonna get it, so we need to. Yeah, that's the thing. He yeah. it's not because it's in a condescending way. It's because mm-hmm. I okay, I have come up with something so bat crap crazy that the yep. only way you're going to have fun and follow along is if I explain it as we go. So yep. here we go. And it's fun. And it's, yes. and it's, you know, and there's and just ver- so many scenes you can talk about that are just iconic and revolutionary and very much like the matrix, right? Like again, a lot of the beginning of that movie. And even I would say that full first movie of that right. trilogy was here's how the matrix works. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. To get to those points. So like, yeah. I, I don't, but I don't, don't think that's a, a negative at all. No, for sure. And I think that that's actually a really good example if you think about it, because at the Matrix, it kind of starts, you're kind of like, what's going on, right? And then yeah. as then suddenly Morpheus comes in and then the explanations start happening. And then, yeah. you know, you got, before you even get that, you're getting guys in black suits, you know, putting bugs into, inside of the tummy of, of Neo, right? Like, you know, <laughs> you know, you've already experienced a dream world in Inception within the first like 10 or 15 minutes. You've already back to the real world. And what's interesting yeah. is like this future, like this, this weird future that he tends to play in where it's like, you, you can't really put an, a, a date to it. He never does. I, I don't think, I, I can't recall, but like Inception doesn't have, like, it's obviously some sort of future. You know what I mean? Where this right. is possible, where, where where it is possible to to dive into people's minds and, and steal things from their brains. To the to the point than... where there's to the point where there's competing, you know, groups of people that are actually doing this. Or there's even uh, we even get that uh, fantastic scene where they go into the chemist's basement and right. we get to see all those old folks that are just they're they're there to wake up. And I just I love seeing how it's again. It's a world that they're building. It's not yeah. just this one group of people that have figured this thing out. It's it's like this is a common thing, right? Yeah, and to the it's point something where that, that is in society, yeah, yeah. Because that's that that was one of the big things that I the gripes that I had with it at first, where I didn't again. I was brand new to it when I was watching the first time, but. Ariadne's character kind of took me out of it the first time because I'm like, why is she so accepting of this? Like, yes, she freaks out at the beginning, especially when she starts learning about, um, you know, the the subconscious and she gets stabbed and what have you. But, like, it obviously is something that the whole world is aware of because of how willing she is to just jump into it, right? Well, she's studying that, right? Like, she's, she's studying right. something to do with that because that's obviously how he's gotten into this work is because he studied it and her right. his his father-in-law which is michael kane uh is is a professor of it so it's like there are classes being taught of whatever it is right like this dream state ability so crazy it was a, it was a crazy concept um kev what do you it really was uh, i just um i even just think the the cast is really exceptional uh yeah. you know you have a fantastic performance by leonardo uh, Ellen Page does a great job of being, you know, that conduit for the audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you've mentioned Michael Caine. Cillian Murphy's great in it. Um, oh, yeah. Obviously, Marion Cotillard is so tragic. Yep. Um, oh. But my favorite performance, and it put this actor on the map for me, it was Tom Hardy. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it, he's yeah. so fun in this movie. Yeah, he is uh, great. And it's almost a shame he's never really played a character quite like this mm-hmm. like he's always dark and brooding and serious and in this one he's the complete opposite he's cocky. you know he's cocky yeah he, but he's you know oh darling and you know he's yeah. just like he's fun oh um, man I and like i think that. the closest you get is maybe a little bit in mad max and a little bit in venom but he never quite goes to the sort of yeah. side that he goes to you know he's pulling can up we, the big gun and we, everything can we get tom hardy in a bond can he can he just be bond like, I would take that in a heartbeat. Oh. Been, they're they're trying to cast the next time, but I, I don't know. I I don't know. Like I think Tom Hardy is probably. 
I would say is the, is one of the more humorous aspects of the film. Like I love when thing, he yeah. when he yeah. looks at him and he's like, "You got to dream a little bit bigger, darling," and then pulls up yeah. like a rocket launcher Boom, or like a, a grenade. Yeah. A grenade. I, I thought that like you know that that made me laugh out loud. Um, right. And and yeah, he he had a swagger to him. But I, I gotta say, like seeing it on opening, I remember seeing it on opening day. Um, and you know, after going through this entire movie and, and learning all this information of this world and this dream state. Um, and then of course, you know, he comes in, Leonardo comes in, spins his totem and stares at it and then gets distracted by his children. But yet as the camera goes to follow him, it focuses on and you just have everyone in the audience go, like they suddenly clued in, like they realized that it was all for this one moment of what really grounded him to want to achieve the goal that he wanted, right. Uh, To be with his kids. And but where, was it a dream? Oh, the way they edit it, though, it's yeah, like just, you see the you wobble. No, but you see that little wobble, like it could fall, and it like yep. zips, and then it just cuts. And the music, yep. the music swell. It's just, it was so well done. We also never saw uh, Michael Caine's character. Uh, in any dream sequences scenes. Um, and then there's a lot of theories out there um, about the wedding ring um, and the fact that that might have been Cobb's original totem because he uses Mal's, uh, Mal's totem uh, throughout the film. So in, in the last scene, he's not wearing the wedding ring. So like, again, like that kind of points to the idea that he ultimately wasn't dreaming in that moment. But again, it's it's one of the fantastic things that Nolan does in these movies and I think at least in his later movies here where it gives us the ability to to chew on these movies for years after and and also for us to come up with our own endings right right and I think that's something that he he actually yeah. loves to do yeah no of um, course. Yeah. yeah yeah I think that's a hundred percent like he, he likes the idea of ambiguity and the audience really kind of adding Let their the own audience layer. Decide, yes. yeah exactly because it rather than giving a, a clear-cut conclusion which so many films are known to do and, and and traditional filmmaking is known you know your story has to end um, he likes to engage in to sort of like an, a thought process with his audience. And I think that this movie exemplifies that because it gave you so much information to get you to that point. It's now like, well, was he dreaming or was he not? Right. Like it, he, he yeah. basically entices you to go back and rewatch the movie to see if you could figure it out. Right. Like it, it's well, I so think you good. Said it, you said it well, right. He, he wants to leave it in the hands of the audience. Mm-hmm. And yeah. based on the scores, I think that really did resonate with audiences um imdb uh fans have it at an 8.8 so that's the second highest of the nolan films um uh and uh flickster uh audiences put it at a 91 percent, which is the third highest rated uh so again it's right up there in uh in, in terms of not batman and not memento it's it's right up there near the top Critics not as hot on it. Uh, 74% from Metacritics. Still, a again, a common theme. Fantastic score, right in the middle of the pack. And then uh, 87% on Rotten Tomatoes. Great score, right at four, right in the middle of the pack. That Metacritic score, I think that really speaks to kind of what we were talking about. And I think maybe some of those complaints could have been with that um, expository dialogue, right? Where I know that a lot of, again, Kevin calls them snobs, but, you know, a lot of the high-end film critics, they would, I could see them picking that sort of thing apart. Well, that's, I Um, I think, you you know. I think that was actually one of, like, sometimes, like, a little bit, of like one of the things I, I did like and didn't like is how they did convey information and at times mm-hmm. how they might have over overtly did it and it was very clear that this person had to be in this scene or, or it, because they are, there needed to be an explanation that needed to be rounded out right um, there's a, there's a lot of there was a, there was a lot of that so I can see how it would have that sort of negative impact on those kind of people um, but in that case I would rather have a director who needs to sort of put those elements in to greet a and take a chance right. on something that is just right. so out there that we need that help rather than not taking any risks and making it simpler or a little dumbed down and, in other ways and so. i think though i think effectively though by doing that kevin he's broadened his audience he hasn't made it smaller he's made it so that like i could watch this movie with my mom and she would understand it. Do you know what I mean? Like right. she would yeah. comprehend. See, mine parts probably of it. wouldn't, but <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean. A like, couple viewings. Just, She's a smart. No, but lady. I, I just think though that like the information is so distilled in a way that it does increase the amount of people that could go and see this film and understand it. 
just before we get to the next film, I just want to give you a really quick fun fact because we haven't yet talked about one of the most important things uh, in the Nolan verse, which is the music. And of course, we you know we mentioned Julianne earlier, um, and of course, we're we're going to be talking a lot about um, uh, Hans Zimmer. But with Hans Zimmer's uh, score, obviously phenomenal. But I think what most people remember, at least from the trailer for this film, was the big boom sound right um and the fun fact that's probably you guys already know this non gene regret rien which translates uh to no i do not regret anything which is really cool because that ties into the film um is actually that that boom sound and the you know that's the song that they they play as the kick right to get them back the yeah, didn't we, we, we talked about this in uh the the score one right in the movie score episode. Yes. Yeah. We were yeah. It's, it's, you know, so definitely go back and check out that episode. Um, but if you missed it, that's the same song slowed down exponentially. I just think that's freaking cool. I just, I don't know. I really dig it. <laughs> no, no, but in terms of regrets, the fact that every movie trailer for the next five years used Hans that Zimmer's sound. Biggest, his Hans Zimmer's <laughs> biggest regret. He said that. He said, I used yeah. it I used it as a, as, a, as, an, as a mechanism within the score, and it just got overexerted in, tra- in a trailer, and then it yeah. just became this thing that was constantly seen. Large booms and so on. So, yeah, mm. I don't think he's he's ov- overly proud of that. That got, you know. Uh, oh, I love it. Direct directly associated with him um all right next movie the dark knight rises 2012 in 2012 nolan directed the third and final batman film the dark knight rises with christian bale reprising the title role although nolan was initially hesitant about returning to the series he agreed to come back after developing a story with his brother and david s goyer and they felt they could end the series on a high note um, obviously, we know that uh, in this film, Batman meets Bane as the new villain um, who was essentially put in because, you know, I think everyone might know this, but there was a lot of rumors that Leonardo DiCaprio was going to be joining as uh, Edward Nigma or the Riddler. And they were they were really trying hard for that. But oh, Nolan was so hesitant cool. to do that because he thought that he was kind of replacing the Joker with someone that would probably work in the same sort of realm as like the Joker. Right. So he wanted someone that was a little bit more combative and a little bit more physical. So he casted, obviously, Tom Hardy as Bane. And I don't know, like, I, I, I feel like this movie... I think, I don't know, it's not my favorite, that's for sure. Um, hmm. It's probably pretty low for me. I felt like the it was typically spectacular. It was definitely ambitious, um, but I, I disliked like the overloaded story and the excessive sort of grimness of an atomic bomb and, and I don't know. It just kind of like, it, it did feel like, it almost felt like Nolan had so much money that he had to like up the story by like putting more elements into it that were at play. And I don't know, it just felt kind of sloppy. Uh, I, I personally love this movie. I think it's an awesome way to end the trilogy. I think ra- rounding off your story with your main villain being the daughter of the villain from the first one is a cool touch. And they, and they pulled off another twist in the same family to sort of really pay homage to that. I think Tom Hardy was awesome as Bane. Nobody acts better with a mask covering half his face that like Tom Hardy should go out and be the spokesman for COVID and wearing a mask because he would charm (laughs) some people into wearing it. I think like, you know, there's a movie we're going to talk about another movie where all you can see are his eyes and the amount he can emote out of just his eyes. Uh, and I think his posturing and body language, he was menacing. If anybody was going to just beat the ever-loving crap out of Batman and break his back, it was that guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, no. Um, I, so, I mean, yeah. that, I think, really stood out for me was, I mean, again, I'm off. My, I'm on my Inception Tom Hardy kick. It's f- still fresh, sure, right? But sure. but I was just, I thought he was wicked. Uh, I think the story drags a little bit. Yeah. You know, while Batman's in the pit, the story drags a bit. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Rhyme not intended. Um, but but I think with all its shortcomings, it's still 
you know, they were really left in a tough spot when their yeah. main villain who stole the show oh, yeah. in number two couldn't come back. Sure. Yeah. You know, and so I think they scrambled pretty nicely to put a, he, a fitting end to the story there. He's gone He's gone on record to say, I think he actually said it to Goyer, and Goyer had reiterated it in an interview that, of course, there would have been, uh, if Heath Ledger was alive, you know, he would have been the closing of this trilogy um, and sort of that, that, that end. Um, I think... You know, to your point, Kevin, they they did really struggle with probably the story aspect. I do love Bane, though. He's probably one of my most favorite villains other than the Joker. But, like, Bane is fantastic because he is smart. And that's the thing. They nailed Bane really well. Like, he's smart. He's tactical. But he's also very aggressive. So, like, they didn't make him, like, how... Batman and Robin made him where he was a dumb brain, like sort yeah. of monster, right? Like they gave him a brain and, and a plan and he, you know, he was executing that plan. And yeah, you're right. The tie with Talia al Ghul was actually a really great sort of connectivity to the, to the first film uh, to really bring in that sort of family and love and so on. Um, but yeah, I think that narratively it was like sloppy because I've never seen this, but there was a lot of behind the scene photos of Christopher Nolan rewriting the script on set as they were filming right like wow. f- like re re jerry rigging things in the process and i and i feel like that's just because he wasn't really 100% sold on it he just needed to do it because i think he wanted to do his next film dark knight rises again i think i think my my biggest disappointment with dark knight rises is just that we didn't get more nolan batman movies like you know we get to that end with jgl kind of Oh, he's going to be Robin. And then it's sort of, it's sort of just the whole thing just sort of went away. And I just didn't feel like it, it ended enough for me. Again, I, I guess it was, I guess it speaks to it in the sense that like, Still I wanted more Nolan Batman, but yes, I guess you're right. Like it, it does. Maybe, maybe we, maybe we see more. I don't know. I mean, I'd almost appre- I almost appreciate that it did sort of close off at least that story. Right. Sure, right. they could have gone on to tell more stories with, you know, Robin or whatnot. But to close off Batman's story the way they did, I thought he had a nice ending. You know, hopefully him and Alfred actually did see each other at that cafe and it wasn't some inception, did they, didn't they, <laughs> sort of, you know. Um, uh, quick shout out to uh, Anne Hathaway, who I thought was absolutely fantastic. Really... Uh- surprised me in a lot of ways at how much she pulled off that character so good she elevated yeah. man she elevated catwoman to like that sassy like i love that change in her character when when you first see her and she's like oh mr wayne um and then he he says like those pearls are my mother's pearls and, and then the she didn't like you almost see it snaps. like snap yeah. into her yeah it was so cool so yeah, good she was she was fun now uh i mean like looking back you know this movie does get pooped on a lot it seems eh? like a lot of people seem to give it a lot of crap i was looking at some nolan ranking lists and this was often at number 10 you know as his worst film yeah. um but the scores certainly don't dictate that um an 8.4 on imdb puts it right in the middle mm-hmm. um Ooh. and like critically uh it got a 78 percent on meta uh critic which is four points higher than inception it got uh, an 87% on Rotten Tomatoes, tying it with Inception. Um, and then it got a 90% on Flickster audiences, uh, which is just 1% under what Inception got. So it's kind of strange that it gets all of this negative feedback. And I even remember it at the time, people not liking it so much. But these scores certainly don't seem to reflect that. So it's a very it's a very perplexing movie, I think, in terms of what its legacy uh, you know, is, was, and mm-hmm. will continue to be in terms of, I mean, you know, when you make a trilogy with three excellent movies, one has to be the worst, one has to, you know, and the third one always has the toughest job of closing things out in a satisfactory yeah. way for everybody. So, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, definitely an interesting challenge, an out of this world challenge, if you will. Yes. Well, you know what? The next movie is out of this world. Uh, Interstellar in 2014. Uh, Nolan next uh, directed, wrote and produced the science fiction film Interstellar. The first drafts of the script were written by Jonathan Nolan, and it was originally to be directed by Steven Spielberg. 
Based on the scientific theories and theoretical uh, physicist Kip Thorne, the film follows a group of astronauts who travel through a wormhole in search of a new home for humanity. Um, I recently rewatched this film, and I got to say, it surprised me the second time uh, how much I actually really enjoyed it, and it all does actually make sense. Yep. You know, like the science, obviously, I don't understand the science, but what they're trying to achieve with what they're researching actually makes sense. Um, and actually, yeah. that is one of the one things that people go like crazy about with this film. Like even like physicists have have said like uh, Interstellar is such a great representation of the science of what they are trying to achieve. Um, That's cool. Nate, you saw this though in theater and like, what was it IMAX or? Yeah, uh, IMAX Cinesphere actually. Dude, like going downtown, uh, seeing this in the Cinesphere, um, which looks like it came from the movie itself. Like it looks like physically like that. This movie is, it's a ride. Um, and it's, it's, it's so cool how this story can be so big and so small all at the same time. Yeah. Um, the writing... The writing and the dialogue and, and, and the way that these characters talk is so good, but I, I really got to give it out to uh, the writing to be able to make a, uh, to make me feel sentimental for a sentient block that that looks like it was from you know 2001 a space odyssey like to to get the that you know to get upset about some of those characters passing away and they don't even have faces like that was so cool um, and I can't believe I slept on it for as long as I did. Mm-hmm. Did you guys watch it in in theaters, like in release, like when it first came yeah. out? I saw oh, it. Absolutely, in I haven't yeah. I haven't missed a Nolan film since Begins. Oh, there you go. Like opening night. Yeah, big time. Yeah, I've Very seen cool. every film. And IMAX every time it's in there. Mm-hmm. Starting probably with The Dark Knight. That was the first one where it was like, there is IMAX involved in this. Let's go. Yeah, know? I think I think IMAX was like the big advertised one. I don't know if they did it for Batman Begins, but probably you're right. I Dark don't Knight. think so. I think it yeah. was Dark Knight where it was like, there's 20 minutes of IMAX, IMAX in this footage. movie. Yeah, the whole that opening was a scene. Big thing. And that would only become something that he would continue to use in, in larger quantities as his filmography grew. Um, but yeah, Kev, what did you think of Interstellar? I got to say, this is probably my least favorite of his sort of cinematic uh, big blockbuster movies. I just think it uh, I, 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 I didn't love the, the relationship between the father and daughter and the 700 times you have to hear him yell, Murph! Um, I think, McConaughey was great, man. He was I so think, good. I think like a cosmic bookshelf was a really cheesy way to sort of end it. And, and like he's, I just, I just, I wasn't a huge fan of how it all wrapped up. Right. I think the, the idea of searching for a, a you know a, an exoplanet that human beings could find that are habitable and having three like that whole sort of mystery of are they going to find a place what's it going to be and then the whole Matt Damon popping up and then Doctor Man so symbolic man is evil you know um, <laughs> like that was all great and I was riveted and like the way he filmed this interpretation of space and time travel or the effects of gravity and space travel. It was just absolutely incredible. By far the the best, biggest, most incredible work he's done in his career. But I think the ending drops it like points and points in terms of hmm. how I left the theater and how I remember, so it, you know, you know, I just it didn't resonate with me at all. So I I don't obviously want to linger too hard on this movie, but this to me is his 2001 Space Odyssey. He is a huge fan of that film, and in in many ways, I think this was his homage to to that film in various ways. Um, You know, the ending it almost is like the kaleidoscope. Only the the idea is you're spot on. The the idea is though that I think he actually tried to draw more relevance to what that world was and connecting it back to the story. Whereas obviously in 2001: A Space Odyssey, we were kind of left with like impressions of like what does this mean? Um, you know, it didn't connect back to the story. But like the space moments and you know how it goes from quiet to like gentle rattles in the ship, like it felt so authentic. And you know when you see the explosion of of the endurance and you know you don't hear it 
right? It's just it's just all visual, right? Like something yeah. so simple, right? And he definitely plays with the with the visuals. Obviously, how he you swoop in, like as you're swooping into the black hole, there's no sound, but you just you get pulled in, and then you just you're into stars. It's it's insane, like unbelievably well done. I I, I turned off all the lights. I rewatched it. I turned off all the lights. And just watch it on the screen, and it was so immersive in in that thing. And he, I think, you know, in many ways, this was his love letter to to a two thousand one Space Odyssey, and he did it better, obviously, in comparison. So, yeah, I agree. Go ahead. How did it rate with the Metacritic there, Kev? Um, well, fans liked it more than critics. Uh, let's see, IMDb fans gave it an eight point six, putting it at a solid number three, their third favorite of his movies. Uh, Metacritics have it at a 74%, uh, which puts it at fifth, so right in the middle of the pack. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes poo-pooed all over this bad boy, a 72%. Obviously still certified fresh, but that's eighth. That's eighth on the list. That's last. That is his lowest rated Rotten Tomato movie on the list. Wow. Um, And then Flickster audiences have it at an 85%, so again, right in the middle of that pack as well. So... Um, I, I guess uh, the cosmic bookshelf BS didn't resonate with uh, everybody. I uh, dude, I guess people just hate love. You know, I think that's what it is. No, not it. I want to go to space and find planets, not discover the bond between a father and daughter. Then you're watching the wrong movie. Don't watch Interstellar. <laughs> the space was second for me, but uh... yeah. all right. Final film, Dunkirk. 2017, Nolan returned to directing after a bit of a stint with producing. In 2017, he comes back with Dunkirk. Based on his original screenplay and co-produced with his wife, Emma Thompson, uh, the story is set amid World War II and the evacuation of Allied soldiers from the beaches of Dunkirk, France in 1940, describing the film as a survival tale with a triptych structure. Nolan wanted to make a sensory, almost experimental movie with minimal dialogue. He said he waited uh, to make Dunkirk until he had earned the trust of major studios to let him make it as a British film, but with an American budget. Before filming, Nolan sought advice from Steven Spielberg, and Spielberg had later said to Variety, knowing and respecting Christopher Nolan as one of the world's most imaginative filmmakers, my advice to him was to leave his imagination, as I did on Saving Private Ryan, in second position uh, to the research and making sure that the film is done authentically, which was entirely his approach. I recently rewatched this. Uh, This is like Sarah's jam. So if it's on TV, it's on my TV. So I see this. I see this at least in parts, like a couple times a year since it's come out. Um, Really? She likes it? She loves this movie. Wow. Uh, And I do not mind it being on at all. Um, I've, I probably saw it about a year ago, most recently in its entirety. I watched it, uh, same, yeah, same thing, uh, Cinesphere in Toronto, uh, just last year. And, uh, dude, like it, the, the way that the movie portrays war is, um, it, it, the movie is very much like war itself. Like it's so loud and it's so terrifying and, and, and like, your heart is just exploding out of your chest. Um, I don't know. I just think it's fantastic. Yeah, I think it's probably one of the most interesting war films I've ever seen, uh, being that it revolves around three different stories that are happening in and around each other and that sort of back and forth. Again, finding a way to implement a fragmented narrative, a multi-structure story um, in a war film, which doesn't seem conventional. A war film usually very much like a, a Saving Private Ryan. It starts here and it goes here kind of thing. Um, but I love so- I love that because it to for the audience to kind of feel that confusion. Mm-hmm. Again, like these soldiers, they're confused throughout the entire time. They're like, who's doing, who's, who are we fighting? Who's, who's going to be attacking us next, right? So it puts you in that mindset. And I think that to a certain degree, like we talk about his narrative structures uh, and how he, that's a very Nolan thing, but it fits so well within this war story, oh, which to your point, Justin, we haven't never really gotten before. For sure. I think it's also to just really talk about like the efforts and the, you know, how, how time is really, you know, it's a factor in obviously seeing where people are at specific points, but then how that time starts to overlap at specific points and and people's lives start to intersect. Uh, There's just so much I love about this movie from, you know, from that, like, 
soft and gentle performance from Mark Rylance um, uh, to the 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 just incredibly tough and ballsy performance of Tom Hardy. Mm. Uh, there's just so many fun little things, and there's a lot of unknown actors that give these amazing performances that you feel yeah. so much for these characters. Yeah. You feel so much fear, so much tension for them. Um, but I think even just beyond the characters, I think my favorite part of it was that moment where you realize that these are all intersecting stories mm-hmm. and just how they're intersecting. Mm-hmm. And for him to bring a story or to play a story, three separate stories, one being a week, one being a day, one being an hour, and they all sort of converge at this one singular moment was right. just so well done for all the times he's played with time and manipulated narrative this i think was my favorite ah reveal right you know it was my most satisfying right. and right. and it just it just came together in such a right. way plus my boy harry styles he's greatness <laughs> yeah he does he's he i think he was actually pretty he surprised me yeah, you know what I mean. Job. Like I wasn't, I wasn't good, expecting him to. He did a good little to... job. Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah. Proud, of my, I was he, proud of my guy. Yeah, he surprised me for a war film. That's for sure, right? Yeah. Like it, and and I think all the 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 you know unknown actors that were featured, even the young boy George that was on the boat that uh, smoked oh, his head. Oh, poor George! But you know he had oh, such ambition George. and like just the idea of like you know the ambitions that you know young people might have had back then and wanting to do things and you know, how war can take that away. And you, you kind of see that well, mirrored see, in the fact where these young kids are are, sh- are on the shore trying to get home. And this, you know, young posh uh, kid who also has, has that desire, but he's, you know, he's not in war, right? And he wants to do something. Yeah, well, like, Nate, you say I don't have any feelings, eh? Like, the, I, it, like it hit me so hard earlier on in the film. George says all he wants to do is have his name in the paper to make his parents proud. And then, yeah. you know, he dies on the boat and his buddy goes and gets the story off. And so then you see, you know, that, you know, he gets his name in the paper and he gets as a hero, <laughs> as somebody who made a sacrifice for the greater right. good. Like that was that is well, like tear jerker. You know, that's as close as you're going to get to a tear oh, jerker, a jerker for me. For so, sure. yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just think there's so much done well in this movie so, that it, it it's it's right up there. For so, me. what does the uh, Metascore say? Uh, well, it is uh, number one on Metacritic at a fist pumping ninety four percent. Wow, that is that, that might be one of the highest ranked movies in Metacritic history. That's crazy. Um, it's got a seven point nine with IMDb fans, so they weren't as keen. It's at a seven out of nine, so right near the bottom, right near the bottom for people. Uh, just slightly better than something, or uh, oh, I might have mix, mixed my math up a little there, but uh, you know, it's just slightly better than say the following. Um, hmm. um, and then Rotten Tomatoes has it at a ninety-two percent, so third overall. And then Flickster audiences again, not as keen as the critics. Flickster audiences put it at an 81%, so sixth. So again, towards the back end of uh, the filmography from fans' perspectives. So yeah, again, one of those movies, there's so many that are just critics and fans love them, and then there's some where it's polar opposites depending on who you're asking, somebody reviewing it or somebody paying to see it in a theater. So Right, right. That's neat that he has that effect on people, uh, you know, in so many different ways with his movies. Right. Well, that's been a lengthy conversation in regards to looking at the entire work of Christopher Nolan. Obviously, we're huge fans. And, uh, of course, there's a new movie just around the corner uh, that we're all anticipating to see um, and just to see how great it is. I've already seen it. (laughs) Well, you've seen seen 10 minutes. Yeah. So out of the three of us, I have seen the most. So just just put that on the record. Yeah. You also lost... uh, 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 movie combat last week so yeah okay whatever whatever, whatever. Okay. <laughs> but now that we've gone through all of his films and taken a look and kind of discussed um i thought it would be great if we could each do a ranking uh top three top three favorite Nolan just three films. just three. Oh, i know there's a that's lot okay. there's that's okay. there's uh <laughs> 10 movies that we've done that we've reviewed, yeah. I believe. So yep. uh, narrowing it down to just three. Um, let's start with Nate. Uh, in my number three spot is Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight. Um, that movie, it's honestly, it. I think that he does so much with his movies that is 
groundbreaking for a lot of different reasons. And again, definitely, Justin, to your point you made earlier, the acting has a lot to do with um, with that film and, and with, with his movies in general. Um, but I just think the way that that movie what that movie did and sort of further emphasized what Batman Begins did for superhero movies and for the concept of a supervillain is phenomenal. So Dark Knight is my number three. My number two uh, would have to be Interstellar. Um, And so, you know, like seeing how low a lot of people ranked it, um, I think you know, there might be a little bit of bias in the sense of like the experience that I had with this movie, um, you know, for a movie that sort of focuses so much on Einstein's relative relativity of time. Um, the fact that I was like sort of in that theater for three hours, but it didn't feel like it at all. So it felt like time travel going into this big giant sphere and then coming out uh, and the sun was was setting, you know, and it, it Your was beard just, was actually shorter when you got it out was, somehow. Somehow, <laughs> somehow. That's how time works. Um, but no, it was honestly, it's, it's such a phenomenal movie. And I think, Kevin, to your point, I don't think it's the best space movie. But to see a movie that focuses so much on taking this narrative of relationships and love and puts it into the sci-fi it's that's the best thing i've ever seen from those melding of genres and again i think that in a way that that's groundbreaking and i think just like how nolan looked back at 2001 a space odyssey to as an inspiration for interstellar i think interstellar is going to be that film for filmmakers in the future Uh, and then my number one Spot again, another movie that I think was groundbreaking, and and again something that hadn't happened to me, and really hasn't happened to me since The Matrix um, was Inception. Um, for me, and you know, I, I rewatched it again today, and it's it's honestly unbelievable. Um, the the all the little details and and how much you can sort of pick up on. Um, I can't get enough of it, and I I I don't want more of it because I think it's so perfect in its in its own bubble. Like, I don't want an Inception 2. Um, but I got to say, like, out of all the movies that he's made, that one has just stuck with me the most. And I think, to me, that, in my opinion, is the most Nolan, Nolan movie. Um, so that's why it's at the number one spot for me. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Great, man. Uh, Kev? Uh, well, I struggled here for number three because I thought, how do you make a list like this and not put a Batman movie on it? But if I did put a Batman movie on it, it wasn't going to be Dark Knight. <laughs> so I thought, you know what? I have a close enough third that I'll put that one instead. Uh, went with Inception. Uh, I just think he did so much right with that movie. There are just so many singular moments and events that stand out and are unlike anything else, uh, at least that came before it. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, a lot of fun performances. So that's a, that was a, a, a nice, easy three for me. Number two, uh, I thought this was going to be my number one forever when it came to Nolan movies, just because I still, I'm not sure of a Nolan movie in terms of its big climax and reveal and everything hit me quite as hard as the prestige did. Um, yeah. I loved it. Uh, I still get goosebumps thinking about how I felt in the theater when it was all coming together. And so, that was just absolutely fantastic. Uh, but for my number one, I think for somebody this late in the game with the hundreds and hundreds of other war films that are already out there, to make what I would consider to be the best singular entry in the World War II film genre uh, in Dunkirk, I just wow. think it's an incredible achievement. Uh, I know, uh, you know, it's a it's an unconventional choice when you're looking at Nolan's movies, but I just think there was so much done so well and so right. And and usually when a movie makes me sad or or, you know, the things that I want to happen don't happen as often as they did in this one. I'm usually a little upset and I was perfectly fine with everything, knowing that Tom Hardy wasn't going to make it. You know, seeing George die and every, you know, and just, it, I think that is what war was. It wasn't a happy ending. There was no happy ending, even if the good guys won. And so I just think that was encapsulated so well. And so, again, you know, eight of these movies are f- just phenomenal. One I haven't seen, 
and then the other is uh, Interstellar. No, right. I can't. I can't. I can't. Sure. No, honestly, of the nine of the nine movies I've seen, eight of them are incredible, and Insomnia is okay. But would you look at the fact that the one that made you cry the most? Was your number one, which is surprising, Kevin, because you're well, usually all about. Me cr- it's the only one that made me even consider crying. <laughs> Again, <laughs> I wasn't sitting there openly weeping. All but right, all right. A tear fine. in the eye is still a, a an achievement. You should win an Academy Award if you put a tear in my eye. Quite <laughs> frankly, let's say, hey, the last guy who did it, Taika Waititi, certainly won an Academy Award. So maybe go. Nolan should have too. Josh, you what's your list there, bud? Yeah, my list. Okay, so just to kind of give, I didn't include a Batman. Um, I think Batman isn't really of the Nolan versus of his body of work, and and there's themes mm. that are obviously topic of discussion. But like, you know, the Batman movies are on their own. I think you know those are entirely different. They obviously defined the genre and helped helped inspire the genre to move in different directions. Uh, influential, but not on the list. Um, I started with Inception. Uh, as my number three, uh, mm. reason being that I feel like this is the most Hollywood effective way to do a Nolan film and it reached <laughs> the audience. It really tapped in. And like, like I was saying before, you know, after doing something like the dark Knight, I think, does he really want that to be a defining movie? It probably is. But I think now people are also going to say Inception as well because it followed The Dark Knight. And I really think he wanted to hit that one out of the park and make it so tight, so concise. And if that meant including very key characters to help get that information off to to the audience so that they could really appreciate the value of that ending, then, you know, goal achieved. So number three, Inception. Number two would be Interstellar. Interstellar was probably, it's probably one of the best space experience movies. I I appreciate it for that. And as I agree that it's probably a campy, cheesy sort of thing to incorporate this bond of love, um, but choosing a very human element that is only defined by people um, as, as understanding and using that as a means, as like the core in this space epic film, which is so out of this world, I think there's just a real sort of like beautiful simplicity to how he uses that element in the story. So um, while I enjoy it for its its amazing space epics, I, I really did appreciate actually the ending a little mm-hmm. bit more. And yeah, you know what? I, it doesn't necessarily fully explain. And they describe the the bookshelf world as as beings that brought them there. And oh, it was us that brought us here and all this sort of stuff. But I just think that, again, in comparison to something like a 2001, 2001 A Space Odyssey, did it a lot better. Um, number one, it's going to be Memento. I think for me, the reason why Memento is it, it was the defining film personally for me that made me want to actually in some way try to be a filmmaker. Um, you know what I mean? And, and if, you know, you know, yeah, you watch, you watch something or you see something and you're like, yeah, I want to do that. Like, I want to be that person. And That's really like, cool. I, I think that was probably, there's a multitude of movies, but definitely when I was in university and, you know, in, in high school and transitioning into university, um, that movie stood out and yeah, it's, it probably helped define what I appreciate about and have taste in, in terms of what I appreciate from films now. Uh, so everlasting impression, uh, for a movie and, and rewatching it again, I was, I was definitely surprised by some new things that I caught that I didn't catch so many years ago, uh, watching it. So, uh, pretty cool pretty cool i just want to say really quickly uh, i find it really fascinating that um out of 10 movies there were six different entries on these lists like that just shows you how good this guy is at making movies and how he can appeal to different people in different ways like it really is a testament to him yeah i i totally agree i think that um you know again nolan hasn't really made a bad movie like his 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 worst movie is still enjoyable, like you said, Kev, um, on anyone's list. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't it doesn't really right. matter. It does really come down to taste. I think it's phenomenal as we go through. We went through the you know the entire pantheon of his films, and and I really do think in those you know ten, nine nine ish films at least he went from oh that's a movie by Christopher Nolan to oh that's a Christopher Nolan movie. 
Yeah. Right. right? And right, I really right, right. love well I love that that's how we think of him um, at this point. And again, it all clicked at different points for us. You know, for for Justin, you know, Memento really put him on your radar. And then, um, Kevin, you mentioned that, you know, it was it, which uh, you said it was, it was the, um, prestige, yeah. the prestige that really yeah. brought it in. And then for me, it was Inception. Right. And I just think that's super cool to kind of see that um, in terms of how, where they rank on our list as well. Um, but, dude, honestly, it's such a fun conversation to have with you guys. Thank you so much. This is cool. It was a blast. And I think you said that really well, that you could show somebody that Tenet trailer yeah. and not put a Christopher Nolan film. 100%. And, and most people would go, that looks like a Christopher Nolan movie, you know? Right, right, right. It just feels like one already. So. Right. And on that note, we will be checking out this movie on August 26th. So be sure to look out for our in-depth review uh, when it hits the podcast, because you know it's going to. But guys, that's it for us. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did, please feel free to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Five stars is the minimum rating you can give there. So please rate, review, and let us know what you think. But as always, we are Geekcentric, and you can be too, which means you can check us out on YouTube at youtube.com slash geekcentric. Follow us on Twitter at geekcentricyt, and check us out on Instagram at wearegeekcentric. And if you want to share your top three Christopher Nolan films, please do so by emailing us at wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. That is wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. So that's it for us. Join us next week. Nate will be hosting. And until next week, as we say... Love ya. Stay home safe, guys. Peace.